We're just going to be covering some of the NBA injuries. Um, there's been quite a few, and it's, you know, it's sad to see these guys go down. Um, some of the major ones we could cover initially, um, we'll talk about James Harden and Kevin yeah. Durant, and then, you know, we'll kind of shift over to, to a bit more of the ankle ones. We saw a, few, a lot of guys go down this past yeah. week and just this month, so it's, it's, it's crazy to see all these injuries happen. But, um, you know, Dr. Knott was going to help us break down a lot of these and just get more in-depth. Yeah, hey everyone. My name is Nathan Natwa. Like uh, Dr. Abby said, I'm a sports medicine physician. So that means I did a primary care specialty in family medicine over at a, at a hospital over at Western Michigan University. And then I completed a one-year sports medicine fellowship at Michigan State University. When I was there, I served as one of the individual team physicians for a lot of the sports teams, including the wrestling team, football team, basketball team, and all of that. And then nowadays I do non-operative orthopedics, meaning I do fracture management, uh, sports injury care, and ultrasound guided injections. And I'm probably going to get back into coverage pretty soon. And I work at one of the health systems out in Detroit, Henry Ford. Let's start out with Harden. Harden sounds okay. good. Mm -hmm. So he had a uh, he had a hamstring injury. It sounds like well, yeah. actually, it sounds like he had some hamstring tightness, and then he tried to play through it, ended up turning into a strain. And then he was pulled out for not that long, surprisingly. I think it was only like a week and a half or something, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Typically, that's a really short period of time to be held out for a hamstring strain. And a lot of times people are kind of wondering why, why those hamstring strains linger for so long. And it's because it's one of those loading muscles. It's hard to, it's hard to not be using your hamstring. A lot of other injuries, you know, mm -hmm. if you strain your shoulder, you strain your arm, you can kind of give it a little bit of rest. But with your hamstring, you're walking around on your legs all the time. So it takes a while to recover. They have to scale mm -hmm. back on their athletic activity. And yeah. for athletes especially, it's hard to do that. So they typically mm -hmm. try and rush back early. Exactly. And that's what happened in, in his case. Yeah. So let's take a step back and, you know, let's kind of, you know, start with the anatomy of the hamstrings. Yeah. So let's cover with some of the basics, you know, just that those muscle groups and let's let's talk about that definitely that's a great idea so there's three there's three muscles that comprise the hamstrings and the ones on the outside of your thigh i wish i had a model with me but unfortunately i don't but okay. the one the ones that are on the outside of your uh, the one that is on the outside of your hamstring is called the bicep femoris and mm -hmm. that one is the most commonly injured one so you kind of think of the inside of your thigh and the outside of your thigh. The outside takes a little bit more of a load. And I'll explain a little bit later if people are interested on why the bicep one is more susceptible. Mm -hmm. And on the inside of your thigh, you have two other hamstring muscles, the semitendinosus and the semimembranosus. It would be the semitendinosus, uh, not okay. the semimembranosus. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I think I froze up for a second there. I'm good now. Yeah. No, it's fine. So, all right. So, Thanks for just breaking that down. So that's great. So it's always good to 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 start with the basics. You know, I've, I've been saying that in our past two sessions. So yeah. just to give us an idea, you know, of the injury moving forward. So how do these how do these hamstring strains how do they how do they present usually? So there's a specific phase of the hamstring motion when it happens typically during running, and it's it's not where you would expect it to be. A lot of people might think that it would be when the muscle is contracting. And that's not quite true. It's actually happens while it's forcibly extending or the eccentric phase. Mm -hmm. And okay. you can think about it as in the, uh, the tendon is able to extend and contract kind of at will. 
but depending on how warmed up that muscle is, it's hard for the muscle to extend as easily as the tendon. So if that muscle isn't warmed up and it tries to extend too fast, it ends up tearing, uh, hopefully okay. not too significantly, but based on how significantly it tears, that's how they create that hamstring. Okay. Okay. And then is there a particular sport that we, that we see this more commonly in, you know, from, from what you've seen, you know, when, with your experience, you know, at Michigan state, was it, yeah. was it mostly with, with basketball players, football, like where, where do you usually see this? Yeah. So actually it's a lot more common with field field sports as opposed mm -hmm. to court sports. So it's, it's relatively uncommon for, per say for basketball players versus say football players. And then obviously track sports, it's very common there with that initial kind of burst that they do and the fast switch fibers that they recruit. Uh, yeah, that's very okay. common as well. Okay. And then in terms of the diagnosis, is it, um, how, how are you going about this in terms of imaging? What are we using there? So it's, it's a clinical diagnosis first and foremost, and then okay. the way that they grade it, which I'm going to preface this, a lot of the injuries we're talking today are going to have grades of one, two, and three. Yeah. And those are pretty arbitrary grades aside mm -hmm. from like a broad category where grade yeah. one is inflammation, grade two is partial tear, grade three is total tear. But yeah. within those grades, there's so much room for interpretation. So when you hear a lot of these players have grade two, it could mean a lot of different things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and then that, sorry, oh, you were sorry. saying, uh, you're saying the imaging that you do to actually diagnose it. So like mm -hmm. I said, it's the pain and the physical exam uh, to diagnose that it is a uh, strain. And then you okay. do an MRI typically, what up show, uh, you do an <laughs> MRI to actually specifically grade it. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so yeah, let's move on then and let's talk about a bit, you know, we could we could wrap up with uh with that hamstring just for time. So let's yeah. let's move on to the thigh contusion and that's that's Kevin Durant's case. Let's let's move yeah. on there and let's cover that. Yeah, that's a great point. Or that's a great injury to cover because mm -hmm. a lot of people have jumped on that injury prone bandwagon with Durant. Yeah. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not one of those people that's gonna say that injury prone isn't it isn't a thing. I I think it's just vastly, vastly overused as in this mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. Uh so the thigh contusion, that could happen to literally anyone, and it, it happens to a lot of people. Basically, all that happened is he took a hard impact to his thigh muscle, which, you think about it, that can happen to literally anyone. Exactly. exactly. And it's not because he tore his Achilles that put him at more of a risk for somehow yeah. getting his thigh. So exactly. He's getting too much that. hate. He's getting too much hate for that. Exactly. Yeah. It's that, that Charlie horse that we see, you know, it's, it's happened to us all. Yeah. And, you know, Ariza's, his knee just went right into that quadriceps tendon. That's what there, there is an issue with the thigh contusion, though, and it's mm -hmm. a reason why it, with the thigh contusion and a similar injury called a hip pointer, it's why they preventatively pull these players out of the games. And that's mm -hmm. because the, they really need to stop that inflammation process early because okay. that inflammation process can result in a hematoma, uh, kind of a fluid collection, fluid depending on serious or blood collection. And okay. what happens is if they don't control that inflammation, they don't reduce it. It has a small chance of ossifying, which is kind of crazy. Like it actually turns into a little bone piece in an area that has no bone in it. And that can cause chronic long-term pain and might have to be surgically removed. Wow. Not very common, but that's when people ask why they pulled a player out for a seemingly not yeah. severe injury. That's kind of the reason behind it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And like, that's, yeah, you see a lot of this, this reports, you know, headlines in the news, and that just don't really cover these injuries. So it's always good to, you know, go more in depth with them. So 
that's about uh you want to move on or you want to you want to talk about that some more we could we could jump to, to some more of the ankle ones now yeah we can move on to the ankle ones okay, i think that, that base sure. covers it if anyone has any questions about these injuries you know you can throw them in the chat and if exactly I off the top for of my sure. head, then i'll try and fire for sure <laughs> for sure it's been a, it's been a long day already yeah, so, <laughs> yeah so i got we'll some go. finance midterm on tuesday too so i gotta Jeez, yeah okay 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 let's, let's let's stick with the sports medicine now so <laughs> let's talk about um denny avdia so that was a brutal one and, you know, quite graphic to watch. And, uh, yeah. and what happened there is they ended up diagnosing uh, a hairline fracture in the fibula. So okay. the the tibia, uh, the tibia is the weight-bearing bone mm -hmm. in your lower leg, and that's the one closer to your big toe, and the fibula yeah. is the one that's closer to your pinky toe. Mm -hmm. The fibula is mostly responsible for stabilization of the ankle joint. It doesn't really do it. I think it's like 10% of your weight bearing and the tibia is 90% yeah. of your weight bearing. Mm -hmm. But what happens with it, that's the reason why, why uh, his injury is a 12 week recovery course is if it's higher than the ankle joint. So pretend that this is your ankle joint right here. If mm -hmm. the fracture is above that area, then that's kind of what uh, I should be this side then mm -hmm. that would be destabilizing the joint overall and yeah. it puts you at risk for injuring that high ankle portion. And that's mm -hmm. what pushes that from a typical four to six week course that you usually hear about these fibulas over to yeah. this, this longer 12 week course. 12 week. Okay. About. Okay. Okay. So my apologies there. It was a hairline fracture. Sorry. I just, just, yeah, no, no. yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was, he went down pretty tough and just that awkward landing that, that was kind of brutal to watch. So, so a few people asking questions. Okay, that's related to the DAC injury. I think that's yeah. some of the, some of your guys from the football coverage. Yeah. But um, I put a so, post on DAC if you guys want to check that out. So I went yeah. into a lot of detail on it. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a bit more about you know you mentioned the, the the six week versus the twelve week. So can you go more in depth on that? Yeah. So basically what's going on there is when we're talking about six weeks, we're just trying to get some bony callus formation on that fibula. Uh, it's not, like I said before, it's below the level of stabilization for the joint. So really we're just trying to get that bone attached back together. You might have some lingering pain after that, but we're not really at a significant risk for for destabilizing that angle joint. Whereas, okay. and they, they grade it on these Weber scales. So mm -hmm. the Weber scale is an A fracture is if it's below the level of stabilization. The B fracture is if, if it's at the level of stabilization and the C level is if it's above that level of stabilization yeah. and the b and the c fractures are the ones that take longer and the reason that we were talking about that is because if you can think about when you're putting weight on your ankle yeah. the fractures below the level of stabilization they're not putting any kind of strain on these two bones but mm -hmm. if we're talking about a fracture above hand that's starting to push those two bones apart and mm -hmm. that happens whenever you're putting weight on your foot is it's it's putting downward pressure that's that's pulling apart your tibia and your fibula and it's fine if you have all your ligaments intact and that's fine if both of your bones are intact but if one of those bones is broken above that level then you start seeing it's going to start pulling apart much easier it's going to cause you chronic pain and it also might result in the in the bone healing back abnormally which also is one of the risk factors for chronic pain okay 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 so, so it's a little bit longer yeah that's so why it takes longer somebody asked a relevant question there so in terms of the yeah. operation so so you, you always, don't always yeah so oh sorry what were you saying no, I was just about to say that exactly. Go ahead. Yes. So you don't need to operate always for a Weber mm -hmm. B and a Weber C. The biggest things that you need to operate for are for significant bone displacement, which it can still be a Weber B or a Weber C, and the bones just aren't shifted out of place, that they just call those non-displaced fractures. 
and the B and the C classification is just on, on the location of it. And then another issue is, is if any of those high ligament ligaments, those high ankle ligaments, which we'll talk about, or actually we can talk about those now, there's four high ankle ligaments. And if any of those are injured, then that's an indication for surgery as well, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want to, you want to cover those? I guess that's relevant. And, and, you know, the next yeah. ones are, the next injuries are all ankles. So there's been quite a few, yeah. so it's a good time to cover. Okay. Yeah. And that's a great question. And it's an easy question for me too. So I love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so an ATFL is definitely a way better injury that you want to have as opposed to a high ankle sprain. Uh, ATFL is the most commonly injured ligament in the low ankle. It's on the outside. This is my foot model, by the way, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> it's on the outside of your ankle and it goes from the fibula bone over to the top of your foot bone right there. It's one of three low ankle ligaments. So even if you tear it completely, you still can walk fine and you don't need surgery for it. And it does tend to heal back really well. The high ankle sprain, if you have a high ankle sprain, you're pretty much in a boot for a minimum four weeks. And that's mm-hmm. not even if you're a competitive athlete. That's just if you're me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and if you, uh, and then occasionally also high ankle sprains need surgery, whereas, whereas an ATFL sprain would rarely, if ever, need surgery. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll cover that more a bit in depth, those, the, the high ankle sprain. Cause that's what uh, LeBron had last month. Yeah. Yeah, so sucks. yeah, it's, 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 it sucks. Uh, <laughs> that's the worst to see him go down. You know, it's it's something we we're not used to seeing. So yeah, whenever that happens, you know. It's, I remember it's, I posted uh, on him, and everyone just thought he was going to be back in a day. And I was like, no, I know it's not... like LeBron, but he's <laughs> exactly like, he's he, he is human. He is a human yeah. being. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So let's shift now. Let's talk about um Kristaps. He went down the ankle sprain. The yeah. uh, you know that classic left inversion. Um, lateral inversion sprain. I think that was on Thursday. So let's let's talk a bit about that, and you know, just quickly go through you know the typical presentation, um, you know, the risk factors, and we could we could talk a bit about the 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 auto ankle rules, and you know, just go from there. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's break it down. So so um, oh, okay. can you? So yeah. Uh, so he, sorry, were you were you in a start? Did you want me to? So I want you. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. You take you take the lead there. Yeah, so Chris, uh, I saw the, I just saw the injury actually on the basketball. I think the basketball docs were just on your, on your uh, mm-hmm. model earlier, right? So yeah. I posted a pretty clear video of what happened with Chris Epps, and he, he had a lateral ankle sprain where his ankle just buckled inwards, and he had one of those inversion sprains. Yeah. They haven't released any information other than that he's questionable for tonight's game, which sounds like good news to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much smoke and mirror they play. Yeah, uh, but but like I said earlier, if it is a low ankle sprain, it seemed like a very kind of stereotypical textbook example of a lateral low ankle sprain. Then he yeah. technically could play through it the day afterwards. It all just depends on the inflammation swelling and the range of motion he mm-hmm. has there. Mm-hmm. And I would call that a grade one. Then obviously, grade one, okay. just inflammation yeah. of that ligament mm-hmm. and not a partial tear. Anyway. Exactly. And in terms of um, like in terms of any clinical tests, like what is it's clinical diagnosis. So what's kind yeah. of the workup that you know that we that you guys kind of do on the courts? You know, yeah. what's what's the steps? So what I would do is I'll put my hand behind the person's calf, and I put my other hand at their heel, and I would brace that brace uh, brace their ankle, and I would pull forward on that foot. Okay. And what happens there is I'm putting stress on the front of that foot where that ATFL ligament is. Mm-hmm. And if they have pain with it, but no laxity or no kind of abnormal give, that's a grade one. If they have a little bit of give on there, 
that's typically a grade two and we're like, all right, there's a partial tear. So that ligament's giving way a little bit. And then if there's kind of a full on just laxity, sometimes you even feel a click, then we're like, mm-hmm. all right, they probably completely tore this, this ATFL yeah. ligament. Okay. What we also want to do is we want to rule out a high ankle sprain. So once again, say that I'm on the back of their calf right here. I'm squeezing together that tibia and that fibula bone, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. if they have any pain kind of high, higher up in that ankle. And uh, that's a sign that they might have an injury of that high ankle ligament. Once again, if I have my hand on their calf and then I brace the front of their foot, I pull their foot inward. So okay. this is kind of pulling it inward. I'm not, I don't care about low ankle pain in that situation. I'm looking for pain higher up here. And if that's happening, then that's showing that I'm kind of pulling that tibia and that fibula out of uh, out of alignment, and I'm able to do that and cause pain because one of those high ankle ligament mm-hmm. high ankle ligaments is uh, sprained or possibly torn. Okay. So okay. a lot of times you'll see the ATCs, the certified athletic trainers, doing those kind of tests on the sidelines, and they're basically doing that to determine whether they can feasibly send the player in with low risk. And if they feel like it's going to be a higher risk, then that's when they pull them out and they wait for MRI imaging the next day. Okay. 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 Thanks for that. That's a great yeah. breakdown. I like, I like the model. The model yeah. using that. It's a phantom <laughs> model. It works. It works. It works. And so, yeah, there's been a bunch of ankle sprains, actually. Trey Young actually went down, too. So that's yeah. a similar. Same thing. You know, the same inversion thing. I, th- I think that was on Wednesday nights. And... He played well that game too, surprisingly, yeah. you know, and then he's had, he's had trouble with the ankle before in the past, but um, I think the MRI did actually, um, he did get that the result. I'm not sure of the, the grade, but um, if you just want to recap the, in terms of the grading for that and, you know, what that means with the ligaments, that'd be great for the people to hear that. Yeah, definitely. So they said Trey, Trey Young had a grade two ankle, low ankle sprain, lateral mm-hmm. ankle sprain, which pretty much means a partial tear of that anterior talofibular ligament. And yeah. that's, uh, that's actually a pearl for anyone who's in medicine or in clinical care is mm-hmm. that the ATFL could commonly be confused with one of the syndesmotic ligaments because mm-hmm. the, the low ankle ligament is the anterior talofibular ligament and the talus bone is one of the foot bones, but the high ankle sprain is the <laughs> anterior tibiofibular ligament and that yeah. means the <laughs> ligament between the two long bones doesn't yeah. involve the foot bones at all. And I don't think mm-hmm. they both have the abbreviation ATFL, so you have to be really careful with the usage of that yeah exactly one of them is very serious and one of them is like absolutely not serious Mm -hmm. okay that's good to know that's good to know and then donovan mitchell also um like his was also that lateral that lateral ankle sprain yeah and you know that's that's you know it happens to the best of us you know it's it's i I think i've suffered i think every year i kind of sprain my ankle so you play a lot of ball man i'm I'm washed up but you know i still (laughs) still, I'm, i'm still out there you know a few days you know but put up some shots but yeah. let's talk more about why the lateral is is more um you know more prone to injury versus the medial and you know yeah. just let the people know that yeah it's a great question uh the reason for that is because the fibula is a much less stabilizing bone if you look at a picture of that fibula t- uh, tibia joint the fibula is like a little bit of a nub and mm-hmm. then the tibia is like a knob so yeah. it's much easier for this nub to kind of get shifted out of place and in addition, it's because of the ligaments. Like I said before mm-hmm. that there's the ATFL, there's also a CFL, which is like the calcaneus fibula ligament. And mm-hmm. uh, there's also the PTFL. And those are all pretty weak ligaments. They're all kind of stringy, not very strong. And on mm-hmm. the tibia side, which prevents medial ankle sprains, 
you have this massive ligament called the deltoid ligament. And if you've ever seen that kind of infomercial where they're stopping all these massive weeks with this like duct tape thing that they slap on the Mm -hmm. wall, that's what you can think of as the deltoid ligament. That along with the strong articulation point of the tibia makes it much harder to sprain your medial ankle. Mm -hmm. And you can even kind of just see it. If you kind of twist your ankle outward, it's much harder to twist it outward than it is to twist it inward. And that's because of that joint stabilization. So Mm -hmm. that's what makes it much easier to have a lateral ankle sprain as opposed to a medial ankle sprain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the timeline, yeah. Risk factors were, yeah, risk factors for a new ankle sprain. Uh, To ligament laxity, and that's actually one of the reasons why women are more at risk for ankle sprains than men is because they seem to have more laxity in their in their ligaments, so a little bit less stabilization, so it's a little bit easier for them to have those inversion sprains. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you. What were you saying? No, somebody was just asking about the timeline, you know, specific oh. to to Donovan Mitchell. So for oh, his yeah. right his for his right ankle sprain. So I'm not yeah, too sure if they, they announced the um the, the grade of his but yeah. it was yeah, it was a low ankle sprain. The thing about him was uh the I think they they had a pretty optimistic uh, outlook for it. They said that uh, they said that he basically when the swelling went down, he'd be able to return. And then they also said the MRI re- revealed no structural damage. So I'm interpreting that as maybe there's a little bit of inflammation that was shown, mm-hmm. but there's no tearing. So likely grade one, which goes along with their with their idea of he can return when it's not swollen, and that could honestly be within within the week or within a game or two. Yeah. So okay, so it's it's pretty varying, man. Yeah. Until so, so okay, okay, interesting. But and I, then I would definitely think it was more on the shorter end, though. Yeah. As opposed to Harden, who they said won't be back until the playoffs. Exactly. Exactly. And then you know, just overall, you know, just on a, on a broad scope of things, with these lateral, with these lateral um, ankle injuries, you know, what's what's the timeline? What does that look like in terms of you know moving forward with the with the rehab and all that? You just break that down. Yeah. With a low ankle sprain outside the rehab as soon as they're willing to go in and do it. And yeah. that's for realistically any of them up to a total tear. If they totally tore their ATFL, I'd probably put them in a boot for like one or two days, just let the inflammation calm down, hit them with a little bit of ibuprofen, some Tylenol. And then once the swelling got down, I would instantly start them in physical therapy. There is mm-hmm. not really too much stopping a person from going and at least getting started on those resistance and range of motion exercises. Yeah. Uh, and they can always do it up to tolerance. It's not like they're going to go super ham right, yeah. <laughs> right from the jump. Yeah, exactly. And also people are just throwing up timelines for different players. I don't know if you, if you, if you have all these, but you could try and answer some of them. Um, James Wiseman, somebody, somebody just asked about. Yeah, he had a, looks like he had a meniscus surgery. And, okay, so they said they fixed the meniscus surgery. So that Mm -hmm. means it was a meniscus repair, not a meniscectomy. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be, yeah, he's not going to be back uh, this season at all. It's going to be likely, so typically it's a four to six month recovery. We've obviously seen some exceptions in that, like in cases with Jaron Jackson. But Jaron Jackson's case is not a normal case. That's yeah. well beyond a typical recovery. Mm-hmm. I would say Weissman should be able to be back out on the court within six months and mm-hmm. not like playing pre-injury level, but yeah. shoot around and should be ready for the start, if not a little bit into next season. Okay. 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 So let's jump back now. Let's talk about, you know, the one I think people are, are wanting to hear more about, and that's, that's LeBron James, of course. So 
let's break yeah. that one down, you know, all the way through from, from, you know, from the basics with the, with the high ankle sprain. And let's talk yeah. about that. And, you know, the, just the differences between those three ankle sprains, I feel like a, a lot of people don't really know the, you know, medial versus lateral. I know you, yeah. you went into that before versus the high ankle sprain. So let, let's start there okay. with just the presentation and, and let's just go from there. Yeah. And I'm just like looking around to see like what I can mock up as a, For a model. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Let's just use this glass here as your calf, because it kind of even looks like a calf. And then we'll say that this this kind of Starbucks area is your, but we'll, let's just say this is your calf. And this is how it looks here, right? This is your leg. So let's say your tibia bone is here, just like you would expect on my own body. It's right here. And the fibula that we were talking about was right here. The high ankle is right about there, where there's a complex of four ligaments. And those ligaments, like I was talking about before, the anterior and posterior tibia, tibio ligaments. And uh, there's also just like a sheet, like a really thin kind of sheet that's called the interosseous ligament. That doesn't really provide any stabilization. It's just a little bit of a connection. And then there's something called the transverse ligament, which is a little bit higher up and it's just a bar that goes mm -hmm. across. And any one of those four can be even partially torn. It doesn't even have to be completely torn any of those four and it's still called a high ankle sprain. And the low, from what I've seen on the shortest end, even with just minor inflammation and not a significant tear, it's still about three to four weeks recovery for that. And mm -hmm. we were talking about before, the reason is, is because those four ligaments help stop these two shin bones from pulling apart whenever you're putting weight on your foot. So even if they're stable, even if they're not torn, the fact that they're irritated and inflamed, when you're putting weight on that, it's further irritating it, further yeah. inflaming it. And that's why we put people into those walking fracture boots exactly. for that, because it offloads mm -hmm. the, the amount of weight you're putting on that ankle, and then it helps kind of calm down the inflammation and it helps you recover a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. With LeBron, he's, so, um, he's such an integral part of his team that they're going to want to hold him out longer because they're going to want to be safe, sure that when they send him back out there, he's not going to go back out there and instantly re-aggravate his injury. Yeah. So it's kind of counterintuitive. He's exactly. so important that he's going to be missing more time because of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst case scenario of a high ankle sprain is a complete tear. And in something like that, then you have one of those, you've heard of probably a tightrope procedure where they literally – tie those two bones together with yeah, uh yeah. with an artificial ligament mm -hmm. and they didn't they didn't announce anything like that no so. no they didn't no. announce any kind of surgery room. They, okay. they should be able to be treated non-operatively in yeah. almost yeah. all cases for sure for sure and it is lebron james you know so he, yeah. he will he will be back i'm sure he will be back even better but yeah that was that was um you know quite rare to see lebron go down and yeah you know, quite a quite a brutal in that that the, the mechanism of that injury you know we saw some some aversion with that. What was it? The the rotation also. So it was it was kind of rough there. How we oh yeah, down. yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can get a high ankle sprain from those inversion injuries as well too. And as that's well, why okay. we do a couple of those physical exam tests. Mm -hmm. And even on X-ray, you can see a really bad high ankle sprain because those two bones are actually further apart than they're supposed to be. So you kind of make sure they're supposed to overlap a little bit. And if they don't, yeah. if they're not overlapping, that's one of the signs. And then if that ankle joint, it looks like a, uh, like a trapezoid on x-ray. If for some yeah. reason it's not looking like a trapezoid anymore, then that's another <laughs> sign that those, okay. like, those stabilizing ligaments have been joined. Okay. okay, interesting. Okay, so yeah, so in terms of um, 
just any other like recent news and just some um, cool injuries that you know that you want to discuss that you know or just interesting cases that you've come across in the past with um you know with your experiences um that'll be great you know just going to talk about that we could keep it basketball related too yeah. just for this session yeah yeah i'm trying to think of basketball specific ones so I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of patella tendonitis uh, cases, mm-hmm. and it might not sound interesting, but it's just it's funny because it can be so debilitating. And then I've seen people that literally they just put pre wrap around that patella tendon, and they put a little bit of compression on that, and they're able to start playing through the injury without really any other any other issues. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a really common thing for people in basketball to have is this kind of knee tendonitis, yeah. And that's one of the possible solutions that people could do. But that would be one yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm trying to think of just like kind of interesting things. Stress fractures are always kind of a really yeah. big issue. Mm-hmm. And especially with there's so much cardio, you're going up and down the court, you're putting a lot of weight on it. Yeah. If you're ever feeling kind of this anterior shin pain or kind of this outside fifth uh, where your pinky toe is, mm-hmm. right along this area, you're feeling some pain build up there those are really common places to have stress fractures. So if you feel that like there's worsening pain over there and you don't really remember an injury, it's mm-hmm. so important to go get it checked out uh, just because you might have to scale back on your activity. Okay. Okay. And then just a few other, um, so I don't know if you looked into these, but these are some old cases. Somebody asked yeah, this, sure. I put up in the story, you know, just for any other injuries they would like to be seen covered. So someone mentioned Derek Rose and that's just a classic one. So, Oh Yeah. I need to just really quickly Re- refresh yeah. my memory on his injury. So in terms of the sequence, you know, he had a bunch, but I guess we could start, you know, from the classic, yeah. how he went down. I believe it was the, the ACL at first. And then yeah. it, it just went down the rabbit hole, just a, just a bunch yeah. more. So I guess for the so sake of time. A, yeah, he had, an AC, he had an ACL tear and a meniscus tear, which the meniscus mm-hmm. is a shock absorber in the knee, and it's commonly torn in conjunction with the ACL too. Mm-hmm. The ACL prevents your knee. If this is a side view of your knee, it prevents that bottom leg from shifting forward. That's why it's called the anterior cruciate. It prevents that anterior translation. Yeah. And uh, you don't really have to get it repaired, to be honest. Uh, unless if you're an active person, then you definitely want to get it repaired. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I know a couple of people who have decided not to get their ACL repaired. So it's definitely something yeah. to keep in mind. Some people exactly. think that it's a must surgery. Uh, a lot of stuff doesn't necessarily have to be surgery, so mm-hmm. definitely evaluate all your options. For sure, and we you know, we covered that a lot in our last session with uh, the oh, basketball nice. ducks. So just oh, the, like the, the takeaway for that is you know the prehab, and that's just very important, yeah. and just getting that evaluation for the for the non-operative route. But yeah, yeah so that's that's that one, and then Rod- Rodney Hood. I wasn't too sure about. He's had a a, a bunch of cases, but. I'm I'm not too sure what they were getting at, like in terms of which particular injury with Rodney Hood, but yeah, it looks like he had a his most recent one was a strained right hip. That's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of a garbage can diagnosis. Uh, that could yeah. be that could be a lot of things. That could be hip impingement, which means that the bone in mm-hmm. your joint, your femur joint, wasn't really rocking around too well. Could be a hip pointer like we talked about as well too, or it could be a glute media strain mm-hmm. uh, where he was just jumping up for a ball and he injured that gluteal muscle as well too, similar to okay. the hamstring strain but a little bit higher up. Okay, and then Lamelo, Lamelo. So in terms of his case with his wrist, did they ever officially diagnose it as a scaphoid fracture? I'm not too sure if that so. was the actual report, but in terms of for the discussion, I, I think that would be a great one for you, for you to kind of go through. Yeah. Scaphoid fracture. 
No, that's true. And yeah, mm-hmm. I'm looking up if, if Scapoid was ever mentioned. It said the injuries. Oh, okay. Yeah, it seems like a lot of rumors are talking about Scapoid. Yeah. That's a really big deal, too, because if they ended up doing surgery on it, did they do surgery? Yeah, they did do surgery. Mm-hmm. So the scaphoid bone is a thick bone in your hand. It's pretty much in this area right here. And it's a very commonly underdiagnosed fracture, meaning that it's commonly missed. And that's because yeah. it doesn't show up very well on x-ray. It's it, the density of the bone makes it hard to identify the fracture. Yeah. So what happens if you have that common mechanism of a fall on, out, fall on outstretched wrist and then you yeah. have pain in this area? What they end up doing preventatively is they end up casting you and immobilizing that thumb. It's called a thumb spike cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reasoning is for that is they want to see if it's just kind of a strain or maybe even a bone bruise. And they want to see if you're still painful after two weeks. Okay. If you are still painful after two weeks, then they'll likely get a CT or an MRI because that'll definitively diagnose a scaphoid fracture. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is that if it's closer to your uh, to your wrist, like if it's proximal, basically that means it's closer to the center of your circulation. That actually makes it more of a dangerous fracture. You think of it as further away, there's less blood supply. That's more dangerous. But the scaphoid has something called retrograde circulation, which yeah. means that it actually, the blood goes around it and yeah. comes from the back and supplies it from the back. So the back, the distal part of the scaphoid actually gets better blood flow than the proximal part. And that's a very rare occurrence in the body. Yeah. So, so he so likely it, had a proximal scaphoid fracture that exactly. he actually pinned back into place. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about, you know, the, the feared complication then of, you know, that, yeah. that avascular necrosis. Yeah, talk definitely. That. So that, yeah. that's like we were saying before, the proximal part has less blood flow. So what happens if that blood flow gets cut off is the bone ends of necrosing or dying. And that's mm-hmm. why it's a very important injury to diagnose especially with the amount of times that it's that it can be missed because if you can imagine in a basketball player if they have a dead bone in their wrist it's not too great for their shooting potential so <laughs> exactly. exactly exactly so i mean uh i would be i would be surprised if they if they just didn't kind of mri these people just preventatively <laughs> whenever mm-hmm. they have that kind of mechanism and they have pain in that area it's called mm-hmm. the it's called the anatomic snuff box is where you feel for yeah. it so you see kind of that snuff box form right there you push yeah. in right in that area and you're pushing in right against the, the scaphoid bone and if they're tender in that area then you that's, know that's a huge deal and you want to mobilize it yeah okay so anthony Davis. i know you, you you briefly covered this on, on one of your recent posts and that's yeah. anthony davis so if somebody's asking just his case moving forward or we could just recap about his injury just to start yeah. off with and then you know just quickly brief go about that yeah because he had a cap he had a cap strain as well too and a lot of people so with the calf strains, there's a lot of higher scrutiny on them. Obviously, after Kevin Durant had a calf yeah. strain, and then and then, and then towards Achilles, yeah, it's not typically what happens with a calf strain. A calf strain is not usually associated with uh, with kind of that Achilles tendon rupture, mm-hmm. but it is a concern if that calf strain is very low down, close to where that Achilles t- attachment is, and that that definitely increases the issue. The main mm-hmm. issue with his calf strain is that it um, they diagnose Achilles tendinosis with it, which yeah. wasn't which is different than Achilles tendonitis. Achilles yeah. tendonitis is an active uh, inflammation, but the tendon is still normally shaped. Tendinosis mm-hmm. means that it's been going on for such a long period of time that the tendon has actually changed its formation and become a little bit scarred up, 
which is actually okay. a weakened a weakening of the issue and increases the risk of a of a rupture. So they mm-hmm. really had to take it easy with them and hold them out for a couple months. Okay, uh, okay, okay. But so that's, yeah, the difference between tendinosis and tendonitis is just a couple of letters, but it's honestly like very significant. It's very different, yeah, exactly, exactly. And those get unfortunately mixed around a lot, which yeah. is you know just for especially for a lot of other tendon disorders. But uh, we could wrap up, um, you know, somebody asked, moving all the way back to 20, uh, 2008, and that's Trevor Ariza's fracture of the fourth metatarsal. So, yeah, yeah if you, if you want to speak more about, about that injury. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's not really a common place to fracture your foot. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's usually insulated on both sides, and it's not a huge weight-bearing part. Think about your foot. The Most of the weight is honestly on the inside of your foot, and the fourth is kind of on the outside. So it's a straightforward fracture to manage, though. It's one of those kind of anywhere from four to eight weeks recovery. Uh, You basically put someone in the boot and uh, you let them weight bear as tolerated in some cases. For the first two weeks, I'd probably make them non-weight bearing either with the scooter or crutches. Mm -hmm. But after that, once you see some callus formation on x-ray, they're typically good to get going. The only indication for surgery would be if the bone was significantly shifted out of place as in most cases, uh, surgery is not only indicated if the bone is um, shipped out of place. Mm-hmm. There's some exceptions, obviously, but that's a good rule exactly. to go by. Okay. All right. Thank you for that great answer. Um, I think we'll wrap up there, guys. I really appreciate um, having you, Dr. Natwa. Um, we definitely got to do, you know, another session sometime. But yeah, uh, every, awesome. everybody, yeah, so there's a, there's a feedback form in our bio. So we would really appreciate if you guys could help us, you know, fill that in. Um, you know, just to help us, you know, improve these next sessions and just kind of uh, keep up to date with what we have uh, moving forward. So let's uh, wrap up there. And any last words? No, next time I'll next time I'll bring a foot model, though. But yeah, yeah that, on, uh, <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. I'm on Twitter at NatwaMD, N-A-T-W-A-M-D. And then obviously I'm at FantasyDots on Instagram. Okay. Awesome. Just check it out. Awesome. Yeah, guys, check them out for sure. So we'll wrap up. So thanks, everybody, for coming through. We'll talk again. Take care. Take care.